Yehu killed Joram, which we heard about last week. The next son in line to the throne would be placed on his father's throne. That was the normal way of doing things. And so Yehu suspected that there might be a battle in the short term. So he is basically saying, do what you've got to do and let's get this on. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. These were the significant danger to the anointed King Yehu. First, they were descendants of Ahab and had a great interest in battling back to keep the throne of Israel among the dynasty of Amri. Second, they were in Samaria, the capital city of Israel, meaning they were away from Yehu, who killed King Joram in Jezreel. Yehu challenged any partisans of the house of Amri to declare themselves and prepare a fight for their master's house. Yehu decided to boldly acknowledge the fight with Israel. We'll learn more about this as Pastor Rob begins chapter 10 in the book of 2 Kings. This evening, let's open our Bibles to uh, 2 Kings chapter 10. Remember last week we looked at the the death of, of Jezebel. That was the last thing we looked at, this woman who was a, uh, a Baal worshiper, a worshiper of really a, an entity, Baal, who was a Canaanite uh, entity, a deity, but he obviously is a false god, and, and, and the Bible tells us that these gods that the Gentiles worshipped are nothing more than demons. They really are, because anything that is not God that we worship, you can rest assured that whatever it is, whatever power that thing is, or whatever it is that's drawing you to it is not of God. And it may be a strong pull, because the devil knows that the things that glitter and that are gold are the things that get our eyes all sparkling, we run after it, Right? And the devil knows that, and so he is always trying to allure us uh, through the lust of our flesh, through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, of the flesh, the pride of life, and he's always doing, he never stops. He will never, ever stop, and so it's important that we uh, approach the living God, Jesus Christ. We approach him, and we never depart from him. And we're going to see tonight that uh, you know Jezebel, as we looked at last week, she was one of those who worshipped demons. She worshipped Baal, and they had these uh, two different calves that they that Jeroboam, at the beginning of his reign, and when Israel uh, broke off from the monarchy, where it was just David and then Solomon, and then the kingdom split, and then Jeroboam was ruler over the ten tribes in the north, and David or Solomon, and then Rehoboam. Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son, began to reign over the southern two tribes. 
But Rehoboam set up two different centers of worship, which he wasn't supposed to do. And remember, he had fashioned two golden calves, one at Dan in the northern part of Israel, and then one in Bethel, more in the central part of of Israel. And the whole idea of doing that was to get the people who, when they used to come to Jerusalem, now you have a group of ten tribes that now didn't have to go to Jerusalem. Instead, he turned their hearts towards serving idols. And because of their background and because of the, the idolatry all around them, they took to it like a fish to water. They, they, they celebrated and they worshipped, instead of Jehovah God, they worshipped Baal and these demonic things. One of the places that we go to when we go to Israel is Dan. And it's a very interesting place, just loaded with history. But one of the, the sites that we visit is, is this very place in Dan where they had the altar, to, um, where they had the golden, uh, the golden calf. And you can actually go to the, the very site where they did these things and the altar. And they, the, uh, the rocks, many of them are gone, but they've made like a structure to where you can see what it would have looked like. But that is where they would sacrifice children. They would slaughter children postpartum on this altar and, on, and, and to, to serve this golden uh, calf. They would slaughter children there. And they would do these horrible things. And so Jezebel, remember last week we found in chapter 9 that she was a, a prophetess. She was a, an instigator in this Baal worship. She had several hundreds of prophets of Baal. And the Lord, through uh, Elijah and Elisha, had prophesied of her doom, because isn't it true that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap? And, and they may get away with it for a while, but then the, the bill comes due, and it's true. Um, we, we cannot think that we can continue in sin and God will just wink at it. And the problem with God's patience, the problem with God's long-suffering is that he is patient and he waits and he gives us space to repent. And man, we often think of that as, well, God is condoning this because he hasn't, caught, he hasn't allowed me to get busted for this, so therefore he must be okay with it. He must be condoning this activity. And we get into this mindset, well, I've been doing this for years and I haven't been caught. And then we get this funny thing in our head like God doesn't see. He doesn't, he's checked out. I, I can fool him. But don't ever think that. Because even as a child of God, he chastens those whom he loves. I've been chastened by God, and perhaps you have too. As a believer, God chastens those whom he loves. And he destroys those who continue in sin that reject him to the very end. He will destroy them and will send their soul to hell. We don't like talking about that, do we? That's a message you don't hear very much in the churches in America today, that there is a heaven and a hell. And you and I, if we got our faith in Christ, we are going to go to heaven. Regardless of our, of our idiosyncrasies, even our weaknesses, God is working in us, but our faith is in him. It's in Jesus Christ. But there are people who can't stand Jesus. They want to be away from him. They don't want anything to do with him and his word. And at the end, if they take their last breath and they are still of that conviction, there is no way that they are going to heaven. And do you think that breaks the heart of God? Yes, it does. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance means turning around from where you're going. And before I got saved, I was going toward everything of the flesh. I was fulfilling the desires of my flesh, and you were too. 
going in one direction. Then finally, I don't know how it happened. He invaded my life. I didn't even ask him. And then everything changed. The Spirit of God came in me, and I did an about-face, 180-degree turn, and I went the opposite direction toward him. That is what repentance is. Nobody likes to use that word. But that's what it is. You change because there's a new sheriff on the altar of your heart. There's a new sheriff in town. He's got a bigger gun. Yes, the Spirit of God indwelling you, giving you that unction, giving you that that desire to turn and to walk toward him. And boy, wonderful it is when a person gets to that place. And I am so happy to be a child of God. Are you? I am so blessed and I am thoroughly thrilled, even though things are difficult. Even though I'm, I'm you know, you've heard this phrase or this uh, idiom before. You know, even though we are like these little minnows in a stream, going upstream, fighting so hard just to, you know, against the current. And then everything coming against us, the world, they're like the great white sharks coming in our direction. And, and we are like these little minnows trying to dodge these sharks. And as Christians right now, that is what it feels like. But it's not going to be that way forever. Because when the Lion of Judah sets foot on the Mount of Olives, oh my, everything is going to change. But you and I will come back with him. We will be raptured off off this earth. Hopefully tonight, before I finish this message, the church will be transformed and taken up. As the Bible says, over and over again, replete throughout the Bible, The pre-tribulation rapture. And then while we are in heaven with the Lord, all hell is going to break loose for seven years. The Bible tells us. You can read Revelation 6 through 19. It details what's going to happen on the earth when the church is no longer here. And God is going to pour out his wrath upon a world that has rejected him. A world that Jezebel had rejected. Or, excuse me, Jezebel completely hook, line, and sinker with the world. And so that's why we preach. That's why we share the truth with people. They need to know. And God now is pleading with his people. And for so long they were getting away and, 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 and falling into this idolatry. And finally God has enough and he says, you know what, I'm done. He gave them space to repent and they would not. And so now we're seeing the fruition of those choices. You cannot Sin and expect not to get away with it. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we saw it last week with Jezebel. And so now we get into chapter 10, and let's just read the first 11 verses of this before we go back and take a look at it. Notice, it says, Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, And Yehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's son. Remember, Jezebel and Ahab were were husband and wife, and they were the worst king and the worst queen that Israel has ever known. They they were like the worst. (laughs) And so God is going to bring judgment and has brought judgment. We know in previous chapters, Ahab has already been dead, already killed, and now Jezebel, we looked last week, she finally... Uh, goes the way of, of the world. And now, um, so Yehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, 
to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's son, saying, Now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he who was in charge of the house, and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants. We will do all that you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. And then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, seventy persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. And so it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons, these are Ahab's sons there in Samaria, in the town of Samaria, and they put their head, I'm sorry, and they slaughtered um, the, the 70 sons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to Jezreel. This is not the kind of gift basket you're looking for on Christmas, you know. So, then a messenger came and told him, saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. And so it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people who, he says, you are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him, but who killed all these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests, until he left none remaining." None remaining. So here, Yehu, who used to be, Yehu used to be Jehoram. Remember, Jehoram was the king of, um, uh, of Israel, and he was also Jehoram, or Joram, uh, he was also a king of Judah. These two kingdoms had two kings at the same time with the same name. It can be really crazy when you're reading through these, um, these passages to keep them straight. And so... So let's go back and, and look at uh, verse 1 here. And um, Ahab, you know, he has these 70 sons. And Yehu, who was his commander of his army, he was the commander of Ahab's army, but when Ahab died, he was a commander of uh, uh, Jehoram or Joram's army there as, as well. And so he sends letters to Samaria. Now, this Yehu evidently is in Jezreel. And Jezreel is up in the northern part of Israel. If this is the Sea of Galilee and this is the, the Dead Sea, uh, Jezreel is just to the southwest uh, of the Sea of, uh, or the, the sea of Galilee. And, and then about 25 miles further south is the town of Samaria, where is the capital city of the northern ten tribes. And so, so Yehu is in Jezreel. He sends messages, uh, letters, down there about 25 miles away. And he tells them, as soon as you hear this, you know, I know you're a fortified city. Choose the best quali- uh, qualified of your master's sons and put him on the throne and fight for your master's house. Notice what he said there in verse 3, because this was something that was expected. Because once 
Yehu killed Joram, which we heard about last week, the next son in line to the throne would be placed on his father's throne. That was the normal way of doing things. And so Yehu suspected that there might be a battle in the short term. So he is basically saying, do what you've got to do and let's get this on. In other words, put the next son on the throne. We're coming and set your battle in array. We're going to do this, right? And notice, verse 4, but they were exceedingly afraid. And they said, look, two kings could not stand up to Yehu. How, can that, how then we, can we stand? And the two kings that were killed, remember, Yehu killed Joram, the king of Israel, and he also killed Ahaziah, the king of Judah. And so now both of these kingdoms are without a king, and they've got to have a successor. And Yehu, being the commander of Joram's army, had no doubt the hearts of the men. And he had a big army on his side, so they were already with him. And so these people in Samaria, where the king used to live, the capital city, with all of his 70 you know, descendants running around, you know, they, they finally said, you know what, there's no way. If he defeated these two kings, we're basically toast. So we, we either got to uh, surrender or have some kind of agreement. And that's exactly what happened. And, um, and so, uh, so it says in verse 5 that he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the cities, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, they send to Yehu the, the message, we are your servants, we'll do what you tell us. <laughs> we have no way of winning against you. So you know what, we're going to do whatever you tell us to do. And these men were fearful of the power, certainly of the influence that Yehu had, and they didn't want to do anything that might insinuate that they were going to go to war against him. They weren't going to be foolish enough to put a, uh, the, the next heir on the throne, because by doing that, they're already instigating war. And so they're like, we're not even going to do that. Whatever you want us to do, we're going to do. And so he sent a second letter, verse 6, if you're willing uh, to obey me and you're with me, then take the heads of the men, your master's son, and, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. So there's a 25-mile uh, hike between Jezreel and Samaria. So back at that time, they didn't have iPhones. <laughs> they couldn't just text and say, hey, can you um, take care of this business? You know, send it a direct message you know, through Facebook or something you know, so nobody can see it publicly. And, hey, can you grab, you know, just cut the heads off of all of Ahab's sons, bring them up about this time tomorrow, you know, it's about six o'clock, bring them up, you know. He couldn't do that. They had to send a horse back. So a horse goes 25 miles, gives them the message, and they comply. (laughs) They comply. And this was a scheme that Yehu had concocted which basically was kill and bring me the heads of Ahab's sons. And then there'll be no issues. We can move on from here. Um, There won't be a big bloodshed on the field. It'll just be, uh, you give us what we want and we're done kind of a deal. So it was, verse 7, when the letter came that they took the king's sons and they did that. They slaughtered them and they put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jezreel. And Yehu, remember, was doing what the Lord had told him to do, what he had really commissioned him to do. It would not, however, absolve him of his cruel wickedness because intermingled with God's command for him to wipe out the sons of Ahab and Ahab's line, there was some things that Yehu did as he continued, and we're going to see this as we go on, that God didn't ask him to do. And so isn't it funny how God can tell us to do one thing, and then we'll do that thing, but then we'll do some other things too. 
And God just says, no, I, wa- I just want you to do this. Just do this. And we're like, okay, I'll do that, but I'm going to have a little fun along the way too. I've got some other business I want to attend to, and the Lord's gone. do what I told you to do. And he does with an asterisk. <laughs> he does do what God wants him to do. And you may be wondering, why would God have somebody kill a line of people? Well, because of sin and idolatry. See, in our culture today, that's just, I can't believe God would do that. Well, didn't he do that with the Canaanites? Didn't he give them hundreds of years to repent until finally he brings his people out of Egypt, brings them into the land of Canaan, and God would make a statement, because of their idolatry and they have not repented, I want you to go into that town and wipe out every single person. Yes, men, women, and children. And all the livestock, I want you to take it all out. I don't want any remnant of this. I don't want any remembrance of this. And God has the right to do that. And that shocks most people because we have become so light on sin anymore. Sin doesn't really mean a big deal to us anymore. But God takes sin very seriously. What does the Bible say? The man who sins shall surely die. Yes, your sin, depending on what it is, may lead you to a physical death. If you're a crack addict or a, or a heroin addict, it may lead you to death. And I've known people who have it's taken their life. But it gets even worse than that because it's not only just a physical life, it's an eternal life. Yes, eternity in hell. It's true. And let me tell you something, it breaks the heart of God. What does it tell us in Genesis? I will not always strive with man. There comes a point when we are in our rebellion, we refuse to turn, we continue on like a stubborn mule, and God says, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, and that's why he sent the prophets, to warn them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and he tells them for years, don't do this, don't do this, and finally God says, all right, I'm drawing a line in the sand, you're done. You're toast, and I'm bringing in Babylon, and they're going to wipe you all out, and they're going to take many of you captive into Babylon for 70 years. But I'm not going to be done with you completely. I'm going to chasten you, and I'm going to judge you for your sin, but I'm going to bring you back to this land after 70 years, and I will speak peaceably to you, and I will love you, and I will restore you. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? See, God is a God of judgment, but he's a God of grace. So it behooves us then, doesn't it? As we read, as we learn about these things, to don't take a light touch with sin in our lives. Deal with it. Crucify it. That's what the Bible says. Crucify these members in our flesh. Fornication, adulteries, you know, backbitings, whisperings, gossiping, all of these things. He says, crucify them and do it, not tomorrow, but do it today. Don't wait until tomorrow. Because you may not have tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I want to I I put my head on the pillow having prayed at the end of the night and wake up in glory. That's the way I would love to go out, you know, like after a Thanksgiving meal. You know, I get all my, I, I pray and I'm like, Lord, thank you and forgive me for all my sins that I've committed today, for the two apple pies that I ate and the pumpkin pie with all that whipped cream. Forgive me for that, Lord. And, uh, and then in the middle of the night, I have a brain aneurysm or something and I'm in glory. 
It's a great way to go. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.